This week's episode is brought to you by four hours of sleep and a prayer. I don't recommend it, but I also have nothing to apologize for. The Avalanche, on the other hand. Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! What Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Stephanie. You're locked into Burning Radio for February 12th slash 13th, 2018. Colorado Avalanche podcast you rely on for, well, frankly, I'm not sure. Uh, coming up on the show, the Avs drop winnable games and try to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Also, the ballad of Gabriel Bork, plus how in reach are the playoffs and who's reaching out for the puck in goal, which is quite a reach on my part. But before we play the whoosh, here disembodied voices for the week, as always, include Earl. Hey, Earl. Hello, friends. And joining us as has become pretty much weekly now is Tiger Vixen. Hey, Jackie, how are you? I'm great. Hello. And also hopping on this week is Ace O'Dale. What's going on? Hey, good to be back. On Tuesday, Avs win 3-1 at home over the San Jose Sharks. Jonathan Bernier was unbeatable in this one, which was lucky because Colorado chose this night to give up twice as many shots on goal as they took themselves. Gabriel Bork, Tyson Jost, and JT Comfer bring it home for Colorado. Then on Thursday, Avs technically play against the St. Louis Blues, but are so bad they can't even be bothered to give up the, the Brazil and make it fun. 6-1 the final. Your only goal scorer, Mr. Bork again. Bernier and Varlamov combined to give up four goals in the second. I'm told that's not good. On Saturday, Colorado roll into Carolina and get rolled over 3-1 with the Hurricanes during their usual get a jillion shot attempts, but all of them are bad routine and just burying the Avs in Corsi. Tyson Berry with the only Avalanche goal, and this was the first game that saw Blake Como scratched. More on that in a minute. And then finally on Sunday, the Avs finish off the back-to-back with the world's stupidest, most boring barn burner. A 5-4 win in Buffalo over the Sabres. Colorado get five goals from five different forwards. Alexander Kerfoot, Long Beach native Matt Nieto, Colin Wilson, Tyson Jost, and Bork's third of the week. I didn't think that was allowed. They tried to cough up the 5-2 lead in the final 10 minutes, but couldn't quite pull it off. And 20 minutes of penalties were assessed in this so-called hockey game. So, two wins this week. Four points. None of which felt particularly good. Until you remember they come in the absence of Nathan McKinnon. And they feel great. Yeah, I think maintaining is what we're looking for while Max out. And that's pretty much what they did. It, You know... I think the process is a little bit out the window, which I'm not real happy about, but um, I I really think this is just sort of doing what you have to do to get as many points as possible just to stay relevant uh, until you can get not only Mac, but maybe some of the other guys that are injured back in the lineup. Yeah, there's a I bunch th- of injuries that I think are holding them back a little bit, and uh, plus, I think we were spoiled by that 10-game winning streak. That was pretty phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Now we're coming. They're coming down to earth. This is who they are. They are a middling mid uh, team that might be on the bubble. But so this is coming back to reality and winning half the games and losing the other half. I believe I predicted four points this week, so I'm not too shocked at the outcome of the week and. And I agree, there's kind of a convergence of several things going on here. One, the injuries. Two, playing on the road, which there shouldn't be such a big difference between playing at home on the road, but for this team, there clearly is. And then also, like Dale said, uh, just kind of settling back down into 
reality is uh, is a factor too. So it is kind of hard to sort all those three things, but that's what we're trying to do on this show. Man, the Avalanche have just been so bad on the road. I, does anyone have any guess what's going on here? Well, it's weird because the the things that there are not going well on the road are not things that generally you see large home road splits in. Um, it, it, it's I mean I just I don't see how you can have like the number one PK at at home and the worst on the road and, and sort of a, a a same dichotomy in in power play. Um. You know, generally, where you, where you get killed on the road is five v five because the other team can do matchups, and you know that there, there's strategies ingrained in the game that make the home team have an advantage, and and special teams really isn't part of that. So it's it's a real head scratcher. Yeah, I I can buy into some of the matchups thing, but like you said, it just makes no sense why special teams it would make such a big difference in. Usually for a young team, getting out on the road is good. It kind of minimizes distractions with family and friends and things you got to take care of and stuff like that. And and it it kind of brings everyone together and they can focus. And it just, it is, it's very strange this year. And I think if I just had to come up with a theory, I think it's just confidence. I, th- I think at this point they just feel great at home. They have the momentum. It just it just has to be that they come out too tentative on the road. I, I don't think, you know, they always have these slow starts. I don't think it's because they're lethargic or they're not prepared or they're not amped up. I just think they're too cautious and um and other teams take advantage yeah. of it. Yeah, and that and and at home they're they feel like they're able to get out there and set the pace, set the tone, play their game. And then, and then it just kind of snowballs and they get the first goal and then, then they can play their style a little bit more and, and it just kind of goes from there. Yeah, I can totally see that. It's, it's sort of counterintuitive. And I think, I think that was probably something the staff spoke to them about on the plane flight from uh, beautiful North Carolina up to Buffalo. And we saw the very first play of the game last night was that fantastic outlet pass from Zadorov to Wilson. Oh. And I mean, that was just a thing of beauty. And that's, that's sort of the aggressive um, mindset you really need to have very early in a road game that they really haven't had much this year. Yeah, they obviously came out good in, in that game. I think they came out all right in the Carolina game, too, and they scored first. Even though the lead didn't last long, but no, I I think they know that they need to do that, and they need to not sit back. Like I think they consciously understand. I'm sure Bednar said it. Like he always says, you can't wait into the game. You have to go out and set the tone. And and I think that there's sometimes they can consciously do that, but then when they play teams like St. Louis and Winnipeg that are tough to beat in their building as it is, I I just think it's really tough for them to go out there and, and play with that confidence right away. Yeah. I mean, playing in St. Louis, we've won, I don't know what, three times in the last 20 games or something like that. Um, you know, there's d- definitely a little bit of voodoo there. So you can or, sort or you of can... see what you, you could be a little tentative there, but um, 
Or you can have you know, that mentality that you're going to be the aggressor, and then and then one bad shift, you know, that goes out the window too. Yeah, it's like you can say all you want. Yeah, we're going to play our game, and we're going to we're going to do this, and then <laughs> you know, when things st- don't start going well, it, you're not going to get back to that. Yeah, because it it seems like the the road games where they get smoked, like especially against St. Louis, they were just they were making mistakes. This wasn't like. They were just being overwhelmed. Like, yeah, St. Louis is, you know, they're they're a good team and they're better than the Avalanche. But it's not like St. Louis dominating the game was what happened. It just, you know, they, they made mistakes and it, it got out of hand. There's a little and... bit of that voodoo you were talking about. There's there's always some just weird magic bullshit that happens for yeah. St. Louis. but and, and that always feels real, real bad. But it's just so... So frustrating that the the team has no chance to overcome those those kinds of magic bullshits because they're just throwing the puck away and doing doing very ungood things at every possible opportunity. That that game was a little bit painful. And I think yeah, when I mean, they are, oh, go ahead. I mean, the same thing happened last night. Like, I mean, you know, the two shorted hand, shorthanded goals. I mean, you just, I mean, what could you possibly be thinking there? Um. You know, th- those are just th- those are errors that we see them not make at home. But I mean, they do, but just not not as flagrantly and, and not as often at home as they do it on the road. It just uh, it's just baffling the way that that sort of that, that whole game last night was a, a book on how not to play hockey, I think. Unforced errors. It's yeah. it's how they tend to play to their competition. I, I think it's the the middle tier of teams they play the best against, like San Jose, um, Anaheim, and obviously they play at a lot of those teams at home. But I think that's where they have their kind of best competition against the really good teams. You, you know that the difference in where the teams are becomes apparent at some point. But then it's the poor teams; they just they play down to their level, and that. That that's the disappointing part. I'm not so bothered by Carolina because they are in the same place the Avs are as much as maybe Avs fans don't want to acknowledge that. Carolina is, and that's not a team that they should have been expected to go in and just roll over the Hurricanes. Um so that that game doesn't bother me as much even though it definitely was winnable if they had executed and played well. But but it is it's playing that stupidly against a team like Buffalo. I mean, at least they beat them, thank God. But <laughs> barely. <laughs> because... Right, they're darned us not to two yeah, three it's, goals it's, basically. <laughs> it's though it's those games that that are frustrating because you would hope that the Avs could show that they're better than them more consistently. Yeah, um, you know the Avs have had a little bit of problem, sort of five v six all year, um, and it hasn't really bit them that badly. But <clears throat> you know that's something, and it, it's a, it's again sort of a, a level raising thing that they 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 can't really do that easily. And, it, and I just I, I think that's an experience thing, not that not that like someone that's you know Como's age is any better at it than Tyson Jost. It's just you know. You have to experience that in the NHL for you know a year or two before you're used to the way that teams really pour it on at the end of games when they're behind. Well, you know who has stepped it up this week? 
Gabe Bork. No kidding. My, my <laughs> note for this segment is Gabe Bork is suddenly amazing. <laughs> so, I, I, have two, I have two things to say about Gabe Bork. First of all, he's now scored, what, three goals in the last four games? Yes. And his four goal total, I believe, is the most that he has scored in a season since 13-14. I will double check that for you. And he's scored five now, hasn't he? Yeah, he has five goals in 31 games. Oh, so, five goals uh, you know, year. almost all his goals have come in the last two weeks. He's a That's sniper. Right. <laughs> and the other thing is that he was Avalanche property last year. And for some reason, they did not utilize him. And now he's this great leader and depth player. Which yeah, he's an alternate I captain now. Which I was a little surprised he got the A when Como was injured. Um, <clears throat> you know, not, I, I mean, I don't know. I, you wouldn't think like Soderberg would get it, but you know, there, there are guys on the team that are a little more tenured. Um, I wasn't surprised at all. I saw that more than anything else as just a reward for how he was the only avalanche player who was actually going yeah. on Thursday against St. Louis. Like your second <clears throat> a doesn't matter. Uh, I would argue no, not remotely, but yeah. When, when you have one player who plays well, you reward him. And I guess that was how the coaching staff chose to do it. Um, so the the best And, and last year season, he was in – he had a letter mo all of last year in San Antonio. So, yeah, so, that's sort of – you know that, that's a role he's familiar with. And the organization is familiar with him being in that role, at least in the AHL. So uh, Gabriel, Gabriel Bork was national property before he was traded to the Avalanche. Wasn't he traded to the Avalanche? No, I think he was just signed. Was he just signed? I don't really remember. No, he was a PTO, actually. Ah, ah okay. Both Borks That's right, yeah. That's right, because the Gorkin... Okay. Yeah. Um, but he had nine goals and 17 assists in 13-14 for 26 points. Well done there. And he nice. had 11 goals and five assists for 16 points in 12-13, which is, you know, it's more goals. Well done there. But it's also, you kind of got the David Clarkson ratio. Um, his... <laughs> His rookie season, his 21-year-old season, he had seven goals and 12 assists for 19 points. Yeah. As I far mean, as wearing a letter, I... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead about the letter. Um, as far as wearing a letter, I guess... Maybe a little surprised, because I do think that it's not just performance-based. It's how the team looks at him. And, and you would think maybe someone like Soderberg you know, that has been around, maybe maybe it's thought of more in that regard, but I have noticed that he's kind of been around Gerard a lot lately, which I think maybe that's also what the team is seeing, that Bork is taking, um, and this is just because I don't know how how going on, but it, it just seems like maybe he's taking um, some of the younger guys, especially Gerard, kind of under his wing a little bit. And they obviously have that Frenchie connection that helps. And um, maybe Gerard needs some someone like that because um, I think it was a little hard for him to fit in with nobody that he knows, you know, coming to the organization. So maybe they're kind of sensing that in Bork, and that was part of rewarding him with the letter. Yeah, I mean, you know, even last year, as bad as the Rampage were, I mean that you know. You 
you you got the feeling that it wasn't just EV blowing steam that that he was a a good leader and a good guy for the younger players, especially the younger French speaking players in the Rampage Clubhouse. And um, you know, besides that, I mean, he's not he's not terrible now that he's playing regularly. Like he's he's still a, a great skater. Um, you know, we've all seen him just you know blow it on on any kind of 1v1 thing but um you know the the three goals this week weren't total luck um you know he's he's a serviceable guy i'm i'm glad to see that if they're going to play him that he can be productive and you know going forward i i know a lot of people would rather see him sit more often than not but um you know he's probably going to be in the lineup so it's just nice to see that that it, he can contribute like that well, I don't if he know continues if... at his uh, current pace, he, I mean, he's on for almost 20 points for the season. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not 20 goals, but 20 points. Fair. I mean, given who's available, I don't know what else you can really expect the Avalanche to do with exactly. their roster. Uh, other yeah. than continue to spam AJ Hayfley with questions about Vladislav Kamenev. <laughs> Come on, Ev. So he's, he's going to be in the roster. And it's just it's it's good that he's been contributing and, and playing well and playing playing his game, which has always been a little bit underwhelming. But it's also it gets it gets it done every once in a while. It's not like his goals have been low goals. We've called out to have scored a few low goals this week, but his have been pretty decent for the most part. Yeah, I I'm not sure if he gets in the lineup when everyone gets healthy. Which at this point, maybe that's a myth, but. <laughs> You know, <laughs> McKinnon and Andrew Ghetto and Como all playing probably takes him out of the lineup. And plus, you would think the Avs are going to want to work in Kamenev when he gets back to playing. And so I still think Bork ultimately is like the 13th forward, which I think is fine. I think he's definitely earned his spot on the, the roster itself. I, I still don't know if he needs to play every night, but obviously given the options available at this point, he's certainly earned playing every night. I just, that's probably still not an ideal, but, but definitely credit to him for playing hard, um, giving something to the team, especially producing goals when not a lot of others are. So certainly full credit to him for stepping up and being one of the most unlikeliest sources of secondary scoring. Yeah, for, for taking the opportunity and running with it, as Colorado have seen yet another injury this week. And as far as I know, no one knows what exactly happened to Blake Homo? Question mark? No. I went back and looked because he left at the end of or he finished the end of the second period in the St. Louis game. So he didn't like leave the game. He just finished the end of the period. And he, he was hit along the board during that shift, but it, it was nothing that if, if I didn't rewind it and look and watch his last shift that I would have said, Oh, that, that could be an injury. Like it was just pretty harmless hit into the board. So I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it's just um, things culminating together. I, I who knows? It, it, the injuries are getting more mysterious, which that's the weird part. Like, like McKinnon, you could obviously see something happen to the guy, so you understand that. But these, these just kind of like 
fall through the trap door kind of injuries or like what happened to Miko earlier in the week. It was like, when did he get injured? And and thank goodness that was truly just a one game absence. Yeah. I mean, Barbaria is sort of the, in the same boat. Like, yeah, we saw the, we saw his right ankle taped up big time in Montreal and, and, you know, he might've been struggling with that for a while, but you know, there wasn't like a single traumatic event that we saw. Um, yeah, especially for him to not skate for two weeks after yeah. that is like really. So, yeah, it's so like, we'll what, what, he just finally, you know, went to the trainers and they're like, "Well, look, your your leg is broken in half. Didn't you notice?" <laughs> or you know, <laughs> you know, at least yeah. with Sven and Mac, we saw like obvious trauma happen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh the, you've had a broken leg for at least three weeks. Oh, no. That explains so much. Gosh, you know, right? Those, like, gosh, oh, my God. You how I got stop skating. Exactly. Oh, man, you better stop skating. <laughs> for a long time. I mean, yeah, it's that the Barbario and, and now Como, you're just sort of like, hmm. Because I guess, I mean, we, we've heard... LBI mostly, and maybe UBI for for Como. I, I think they've settled on LBI, but you know. well, it was it was LBI when he left the the St. Louis game. I'm, yeah. I just went to the website, and officially he's listed as an upper body body injury. So, but in the game but, and, notes, they have him listed as lower body injury. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and Pete said UBI on the game. Uh, I think what game? What it must have been last night. Um, so it's just, you're, you're just like, or no, it was, I think it was a Carolina game. Um, not that I watched it, but you know, it, it's, it's definitely a mystery injury, you know, middle body injury. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's body soreness. And honestly, not that there's any reason to get too upset about them being shady about what Blake Como's injury is in the run up to the trade deadline. Like they need to get him healthy and get him playing, yeah. but you don't need to be scaring off the teams that are ready to throw stupid assets at him because, well, he's got a high ankle sprain or, or something. Yeah. And and these kind of maybe not serious, but more than literally actually day-to-day, not what they call day-to-day, but like literally we'll be okay in a day or two. Anything in between there, something that takes a week or two, I really do believe those are kind of vague. It's just a matter of showing up and feeling better. And they don't know yeah. when that's going to happen. So I don't get so mad at, at that. I, I really do feel like the timeline is pretty fluid. It would be nicer to know exactly what we're talking about here. But, you know, it happens. These guys don't know. Yeah, I think Andrew Ghetto is the the really frustrating one, obviously, because, you know, they said he was day-to-day, and I think he and Comfort went out just about the same time, and they're like, yeah, those guys are going to be okay. It's just, you know, day-to-day stuff. And <clears throat> Comfort was out for six games, and then we still haven't seen Sven yet. And no real guidance I, on, on anything close to what it is. I think what Lauren said, it was either the last game or the game before, that he had a couple setbacks. So we know yeah. he had one now... If he had a setback before they went on the trip, if he had another one, that's just like, you know, my goodness. When you know, are they going to have to shut him down? I mean, if you have two setbacks, you really got to start saying what what's. I, going I mean, on. I I think you know? it, 
it, not to play doctor from the sidelines here, but it's it's probably something that they they said like, look, you you might be able to play through this, or we might have to do something about it, and they they tried not doing something about it. We saw this with Taylor Beck on the uh, rampage a couple of years ago, where he played like three games and then hurt himself, and then like three months later they decided to do surgery on him because it wasn't getting better. Um, yeah, it, but seems it, like... it must have been something like that where he just he wasn't getting better, and they're like, "Look, you know, we're we're gonna have to do something about this, and and it's gonna be a little bit longer term than we'd like." Or something where he feels better and he feels like he's progressing, and then he gets on the ice and. You know, either that day or the next day or something, it it blows up on him. Yeah. And it's just like, well, you can't go back on the ice now. You know, something like that, it seems like. Yeah, he grabs yeah. a stick and takes a lap and then gets a puck on the stick and something pops. You know, that, that kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, they've got him listed as leg uh, as far as what the injury is. But, you know, that uh, we don't know if that's a sprained ankle or if that's a... You know, a bone bruise or something like that. If it's an upper body leg or a lower body leg. Yeah, we all saw him auger into the boards really hard. So it's yeah. it's obvious that one of his legs hit the boards really hard. And what 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 <clears throat> what the problem was from there is not anyone's guess. Well, what's uh definitely been hurting the the team there is just their roster instability and having different lines every single night and then oh well, these guys don't have any chemistry well they've never played together <laughs> what do you want in-state chemistry is magic and if if you get it you you bottle it and and that's where you get um like the the Landeskog and Ryan O'Reilly lines of several years ago which were just instantly amazing not everyone just has that well, I'll tell you what, I, I think the Jost Comfer Rantanen line has actually come together pretty quick. Um, did they they came together, I don't know, they've been together, what, two two games now? Two games, yeah. Yeah, and they were basically the top line last night, and they, you know, they weren't sort of like what they've been doing with the, the top line with, with when it was uh, Amico and Gabe and, and Kerfoot. Um, they made them like a top line that you know, is is a two way line, and they they handled it really well last night. And I know Buffalo is not a great team, but they do have you know they do have talent at the top, obviously with with Ryan O'Reilly. Um, so that was really nice to see. I mean, you know, that's not obviously not going to continue uh, once McKinnon comes back, but it just show it it shows that that Comfort and Joe's have some chemistry, and that they can play a, a difficult role if they need to. And it's just yeah. another step in their development. Yeah, I think that line has potential. And I'm someone that doesn't feel like the top line, even with McKinnon, needs to be set it and forget it forever. I, I think it's awesome that they know it works and that they could put it together at any time. I mean, I wouldn't just break it up for fun, but when... When they need a scoring second line, I think to know that you could put Rantanen with Jostin Comfort and make like an actual second line, yeah, they should do that. And maybe not to start a game, but to know that you can go to that and not just go complete blender when something isn't working. 
to know that you kind of have a plan B to go to, I think would be really good. Or to even start the game in plan B, and then you can always go back to putting the top line together. I, I think teams should do that more to kind of keep the other team guessing and and not go completely the other direction where it's just nobody knows what anybody's doing, but to kind of have like some alternate combinations. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of freedom with your lines coming out of special teams moments too, as my voice starts to go. As, as half of a line comes off a penalty kill and it's tired, and the other half of the line doesn't kill a penalty... I mean, then you, you can put, mix that together with another line and have a line that actually works together because they have played together before. Yeah, and I think also just looking down the road for next year, um, if they did choose to break up McKinnon and Rantanen, you know, I've said that, that sort of Miko's next step is going to be carrying his own line. And not that he'd have to carry those other two guys, but, you know, just being able to have Mac and Miko on different lines uh, would give you a top six that's, you know, it, it's it's a lot more frightening than, let's say, you know, our, our regular McKinnon line and, you know, what whatever the, the second line du jour is, usually Soderbergh's line. And especially if the other team isn't prepared for that. If you just throw that out there one game, I think it, it could swing a, a matchup or a game in the abs' favor. Yeah, and it's you know, nice, too, things- because... Because Jost and, and Comfer are both, you know, they like to shoot a lot. And I think that complements Miko a lot, too. Because, I mean, he's a good shooter and everything, but he's a, he's a fantastic playmaker. And that's, that's again, that's a skill that I've said that he's had for years that just um, is sort of later in developing um, than, than other parts of his game that we've, you know, we've witnessed over the past year and a half. One I really think I that's think his bread and butter, advantage. too. Oh, go ahead. One of the things I think is an advantage for this um, period where we've got several players out with injury is that, <clears throat> excuse me, we're seeing, um, I mean, we've got three up-and-coming centers in uh, Comfort, Kerfoot, and Jost that we're kind of mixing in there to, to see who they have chemistry with now that Mac is out, uh, what lines are performing. Um, you know, Buffalo, Kerfoot, and Wilson seem to have uh, something going. Um, they combined on two of those goals. Yeah. That was an interesting line, I thought, because that, I, I thought that line was god-awful the first time they put it together, um, <laughs> the game that Mika was all out. But um, it took a little bit longer, and not that you know a week is a long time or anything, but <clears throat> um, they were actually pretty good offensively last night. I, I didn't like them much in the defensive zone. but In the uh, Carolina like, game, Wilson was not good, so... He must have yeah. uh, really... He wasn't good last night defensively either. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't good offensively in the Carolina game. So yeah. credit to him for really... He stepped up, at least in that part of the game. Um, but as far as the lines, I really, really do think they need some sort of idea of what these guys can do going into next year. Like, I know they're not going to have all the answers. They're still going to be young guys. But you have to have some idea of what you can kind of count on these guys to do to know if you're going to go out and get a free agent. What do you need? I just think you, you can't still have like 15 guys that you're just like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe some will still be in the AHL. Maybe some can be on a line. I don't like, you can't just have like no idea going into next year where you're going to kind of pencil these guys in. 
I think that nails it right on the head. It's it's not just seeing like who has chemistry with who. It's seeing which of these players can actually play in this the top six role. It's seeing who can play center at the NHL level. It's that Alex Kerfoot had his test this week and it could have gone better. You know? He's certainly not a top line center, but I I'm not discounting him from being at maybe a middle six center. It just They've tried so many different things. They haven't had a lot of success, but the team, you know, in those games, the team overall hasn't had a lot of success either. And I think, I think Kerfoot has been complimentary. Like he found chemistry pretty quick with Duchesne and Yakupov. And maybe it's hard to remember back to that line and the success that that line had almost immediately. And, you know, even the kind of thinking about where Yakupov is now it is kind of maybe a little surprising that that was a really good kind of second line. So I still think there's a lot of potential in these guys. And especially if you want to go out and spend, you know, 30, $40 million on a free agent, maybe you should have an idea of what you have first. That's why I'm not super on the blow all the money, get a free agent because you don't have the answers. And I don't think they're going to get all these answers all the answers in two months but you know i'd rather wait but if you're gonna spend that kind of money then i think you really need to commit these next two months to getting as much information as possible yeah there's some interesting names available in the summer for sure and and we're not gonna get into them here because there'll be plenty of time for that for that in later shows lots lots and lots and lots of time for us to talk about the (laughs) signing james van reenstyke but for now, it's it's you've got to know where your holes are to, before you decide what to invest money in, and that's the only upside of having this team get slightly less watchable without Nathan McKinnon in their roster. And I think if if ultimately none of these guys are your second line center, they should invest the money in that moving forward, and not necessarily a wing, a complimentary winger. Right. Um. But they also have gaping holes to look at in goal. And uh, I, I think that, that you wanted to have a look at the way the goals goaltenders have been used this week. Um, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. Um, what I said pretty much happened. And, um, you know, with Bernier winning the San Jose game kind of made it uh, a, a little bit more obvious to kind of go down the path that I had kind of guessed at if if they had lost that san jose game then it would have been really interesting if uh, bernier had gone in net in that st louis game but you know it, it did kind of follow the logical pattern now i guess um you know this week doesn't set up quite as um obvious so uh just wanted to get everyone's take on where they see the goaltending um, going this week. And, and I have my own kind of theory, so I'll, I'll share that after you guys do. <laughs> but I, I thought it was a mistake to start Bernier in the San Jose game. I know he won the, the previous San Jose game, but I, you know, I, I think, I think Varley should have started that one. Um. And I, th- I think Bernier should have been more rested for the Blues game. Um, I don't know. I just, I know both guys were terrible. Not really terrible, but Varley was terrible in that game. Bernier was okay. Um, 
I, I had a real problem with pulling Bernier when he when he got pulled against St. Louis. I, I, you know, again, I realize it's tough when you see a guy giving up a, two goals forty eight seconds apart. But um, I, I'm just not a fan of coaches pulling the goalie to get a rise out of the rest of the team. Um, he was playing decently, and it just the, the team in front of him let him down. I, I just think there's a better way to to get the message across that's not satisfactory. And and Varley coming in then was terrible because he, he's not a backup. He's rarely been a backup, and he doesn't really do well coming in cold. So I think you're risking sort of playing with his confidence because that was, I don't know, I think that's his third appearance since coming back. And, you know, you're, you're, you know, I'm sure his, his groin is fine or they wouldn't be, you know, letting him start games, but it's just, when you, when you put him in a situation where he's coming off the bench like that in the middle of a period, um, it's just, it's, it's worrisome. So was, wasn't real happy with the, the goalie usage this week, let's say. I, I kind of like that they played Bernier against San Jose because I think as much as the media really is like looking for that changing of the guard story, I I think truly it has happened a little bit and it, maybe it's just kind of confirmation bias, but I think they do kind of play a little bit more confident in front of Bernier. I think, I think it meant a lot to the team that he was he was the goalie during the streak, and I don't think it's anything against Farley because they know he's been around a long time and he's he's had some great moments. But I think Bernier almost in a way is kind of like a fresh start for them too. I think I do think the organization really needs to think about what they want to do because they're going to give Bernier more and more of kind of like a a leash on this kind of stuff, you know, it's kind of the train's going to keep rolling with it. So I think they got, if they're going to do it, they have to be ready for it, which is why I think Bernier might start two of the three games this week. I'm going to guess he's going to start against Montreal, give Varley the Winnipeg game, and then go back to Bernier against Edmonton, which Varley doesn't play well against Edmonton. And um, and I think they'll give Bernier the start because of the win. But it will be very interesting if it's the other way, if it's more two Varley, one Bernier, then then it really kind of flips it a little bit. But I, I do think right now they're leaning more towards Bernier is where I think they're going with this. And if they're going to think about re-signing him, I think they need to show him that as well. So I will be interesting since I mean Varley hasn't had a home game since he's been back either. You know, yeah, that's, that's first two home games you give it to Bernier. So, but and I was yeah, I was just looking at that. The first star in the I know they gave him the first star in the San Jose game. I think they gave Bernier the first star in another one. But you know what I mean? That first star is the one that gets in front of the crowd. You know, I, I just think there's the connection between the success, especially at home and Bernier at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't argue that at all. I mean, I think, you know, <clears throat> for me, Bernier is the starter. Um, you know, I, I, I know that it, that, that puts Varley in a tough p- position. Cause again, he's not, he's not really a backup. He's, 
you know, he, he's definitely not paid like one, not that that should matter, but he's been the, the starter here since he arrived. So uh, that'd be a, <clears throat> that'd be a big change. Um, and he hasn't necessarily played poorly either. It's not like he's played himself out of it. I just think it's almost because they need to kind of move forward, I think. I think he played – I mean, I didn't see the Carolina game, but he played poorly when he got put in in the middle of the St. Louis game. Um, he's I not showing he was... me – he was bad in that game. I I didn't like the way he played at yeah, all. Yeah, no, I mean Carolina. I'm, yeah. I don't I don't think he played poor. I mean, what did you guys think? I I thought he was fine. I don't I don't know it was like, oh, boy, they really let Varley down, but it wasn't like he gave up the game either. I mean – yeah, they it's just one of those things where it's like, all right, he played well, but you still gave up three goals. What do you say about that? I mean, two of them, they definitely <laughs> have to try. I know, but it's just, you know, how many of those are you going to expect your starting goaltender to, to save? I mean, it's just, I, I you know, I, I get where you're coming from, but. Uh, it, you know, you could say uh, Bernier gave up five goals in Buffalo. Um Although two of them were kind of tipped from his own players. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Buffalo really only scored two goals in that game, so I don't <laughs> really know. really did. Um, <laughs> no five-on-five five goals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was three-nothing at five-on-five. Five, so. Yeah, a five-on-three, yeah. two shorthanded, and a six-on-five. So, But yeah, if you're going to say to Varley, you know, you need to make a big save every once in a while, even if you know, crap happens in front of you. It is true. You, you got to say that for Bernier too. Yeah. But uh, I would but say that you know, Bernier has. <laughs> yeah, he, exactly. And I, I would say that he gave up three goals, but can you really blame him for any of them has kind of become the Simeon Varlamov story for the last couple of years. And it and, was the Calvin Pickard story last year. Eh, you can yeah, pretty, you no, can I mean, there were a lot of games last year where Calvin played well, but he gave up three goals and they lost three to two or three to one or something. It's just you know that's because they gave up forty five shots on goal. But there was definitely yeah. plenty of times when you can look at Calvin and go, "Pu." I know, I know, but it's just it. It's <clears throat> it's just you don't have that problem with Bernier yet, right? Yet. And and yeah, I'm not I'm not looking at him as as the street goalie, the guy that what was it, 960 goaltending or yeah, anything exactly. like that. Like, I'm looking at both as league average, you know, probably best case scenario goalies. And I know it's dumb, but it just, you know, you look at wins, and I know you're not supposed to do that with goalies, and you're not supposed to look at goals against, but, you know, it's like, you got to win a game once in a while, even when you're, you know, regardless of how you play. I mean, it's just... Your starter has to win you games, or why is he your starter? And I and I just think they're also more confident in front of Bernier right now. Maybe that'll evaporate as they get further away from the streak, but it's just something I feel, I guess. Yeah, so Bernier scares me personally because this, I mean, <laughs> he hasn't done the tattoos. He's what a very intimidating like? person. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a little guy, really. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's, not, put, he's not put together uh, a season like this before. This is uh, this is a little unusual for him. Hasn't um, he played well? I mean, didn't he play I, well in, he, when he started with Anaheim and with streaks. Toronto at some point? 
Yeah, but he's done, he's very streaky like that. I mean, uh, he's done these sorts of things, and then he gets named starting goalie, and then he collapses, and that's that's why he was uh, chased out from uh, Toronto in favor of uh, Reimer. Who then um, had the same problem? LOL. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Maybe it wasn't him. <laughs> but I would like to see them. I you know that was one of the things I had noticed. Uh, Jackie, where was it? Earl pointed out that. Varley has not gotten a home game yet. Yeah. Uh, and that I, I think that's going to be, they really need to give him that since they do so well at home. Uh, of course, you know, there's the whole thing, was it really Bernier at home? Um, but giving Varley some home games, I think, would, would really help his confidence, which would then, you know, help the confidence of the team in front of him. Uh, or so if they I don't, like it really see... says something about him, right? You know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, I'd like to I'm see Va- I'd like to see I'd like to see Varley get that Montreal game, um, and you know then uh, maybe Bernier get the Winnipeg and Edmonton games, and uh, you know at least start to get some uh, some wins under Varley's belt uh, when while he's coming back in. That just yeah, it I seems like for, he was thrown into some of the worst situations right off the bat. It's yeah, true. The Winnipeg game like for like comparison, you need to give him a home game. Yeah, and the Winnipeg game is going to be the tough one of the week. Like that's right. pretty much the good luck. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that usage. Where I'm going to disagree is way back to the beginning of this segment, where uh, where we had problems with taking Bernier out of the St. Louis game. I was totally fine for that. Um, I was totally ready for it to happen because as soon as the second goal went in, I was ready for the third one to follow immediately, like it always does. Um, when when Jonathan Bernier's on, he's a very good starting goaltender, but he's also very momentum based. And when things start to go awry, more pucks find their way behind him, kind of quickly. Um, yeah, but the team was so bad on both those goals. I mean, you're just yeah. looking at them like you wanted to throw tomahawks at them. They were awful. Okay, yeah, I mean, you still you knew, knew that the Avs was going to win this one. So okay. it's yeah. like at that point, are you saving Bernier's confidence and your you know, are you sacrificing Varley's confidence to save Bernier's confidence? This kind of, yeah, exactly. Kind of I mean, it's like you end up with two guys with shattered confidence rather than just one. That's why it didn't make a lot of sense for me. Because that was like, not a you game look at, where they were going to come back. Like, like if it was another, you know, let's say Carolina 3-1, to one, you could say, okay, they could come back in this game. But that St. Louis game, they weren't coming back in it. So it's basically, who do you want to hang out to dry that wasn't a comeback move. That was a stop the bleeding move. I, I I completely disagree with the notion that that was a move to try to wake the team up. It was a notion. It was it was a move that okay, Bernier's given up three in less than half of the game. He's not got it tonight. We need this. This needs to stop before it gets out of hand. That didn't work. It wouldn't have mattered what the coaching staff had done. But that's still and I still think that's the right move. And if you're afraid to play Varlamov off the bench because he's not good cold or because you don't want him to come off cold and hurt his groin or something, then I would argue that you can't have Varlamov in your lineup if he's not starting. You need to carry three goaltenders at that point because you cannot have a backup that you can't put on the ice. It's too bad they can't because, yeah, that, yeah. that's the game you'd put the Hamburglar in and just say, you know, we'll, <laughs> whatever yeah. happens, happens. But obviously... That would have been perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I guess they could carry three. Actually, that would have been. Never. (laughs) 
Welcome to the Colorado Avalanche, Andrew. Have at it. <laughs> it's possible. It's not like they yeah. ever really use that third spot for a, a skater when they're even somewhat healthy. So that's a thought yeah. because, it, yeah, it's true. I mean, you, what do you need Varley to back up for? Either he's playing or he's not. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough to have a starter that you're not starting and. You know, it just it, it makes you wonder sort of what the what the long term plan is. And it, I wrote something today on next year's depth chart, and I mean, I knew this in the back of my mind, but when you write it out, it's pretty horrifying that Varley is the only goaltender signed by the Avalanche next year. Ah. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah, I mean, they have Spencer Martin's rights, oh, and they have the boy. rights of your their European fellows and are Adam Warner and, and Kvacha. So but. I've been yelling all year about how bad the goaltending depth is, and I had no idea it was this bad. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. All right. You know, Harley <laughs> is the only goalie signed for next year, and you're you're just looking at that, and you're just like, really? I mean, it's like how you know, and, and the the crazy thing, so. and I, I said this at the end of the paragraph was the the head of development for this organization is a former goaltender. And and here we are, you know. Well, maybe they're not worried about it. I don't know. Maybe he just thinks doesn't seem worried to me, you know. Yeah, he just thinks, you know, you just sign up. Go to the goalie store and find a couple for him. I don't know. Right, goalies are us. Eight seven seven save now. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's it. Maybe he he just thinks, you know, you show up, and if you're good enough, you're good enough. Yeah. If not, well. It'd be so easy to trust the process if the process had given us anything in the last decade. Yeah. Exactly. The the Avs have never been known for developing goaltenders. Never. Or anything. Always had to trade or, you know come up with a goaltender by other means i, I think well i they're... mean Cal- look calvin could play a role in some form or fashion and it just it's bad luck that, that the expansion draft happened and and that was the way things fell um <clears throat> you know because he does sort of fill that hole between spencer martin and varley and bernie um you know he'd, he'd be an upgrade on on hammond let's say Right, right. So, I think that's why that's why all of us were so uh, a little bit. Um, I don't know the word for it when they pick Pickard because it was like, uh, what can you do? But that's yeah, sort like, of two. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Well, I guess we got to sign somebody now. Yeah, yeah that I, I guess of... like something that's a huge problem just got worse. <laughs> but that spot in your your goalie depth chart that's easily replaced with the signing though those guys are available i know but it's just it's it's not having that not having anybody set in any sort of role for next year is just it's mind-boggling when it's you know when it when it's been a problem for so long it wouldn't be as much of a problem if uh varley were healthier if we could count on Varley not getting injured, then it wouldn't be a problem. But I think it is a problem because now we can't trust Varley. Well, goalies get hurt. Con- I mean, look at the league. Goalies get hurt constantly. When Mike Smith got hurt the other day, 
Like, yeah, every... I mean, every team needs to have three goalies that yeah. can win you a game at the NHL level. Yeah, so it goes way hurt. beyond Varley. That they don't right. even have to get hurt. Sometimes but we don't even have that. Catch a puck for a week. Yeah. But it seems like every year we get into this, you know, who's even going to start in the AHL? Is it going to be Martin? Is it going to be someone else? Like, it seems like we've had that conversation, like, three straight years. Like, is Picker going to be the backup? Is he going to be in the AHL? You know, and then it's just this year, you know, what's Martin going to do? Are they going to start him? Or are they going to bring someone else in? It just seems like they decide these things every July, and they sign a bunch of guys. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, that's the plan for this year. I don't know. I honestly don't know that they see a problem with that. We think it's a giant problem. Do they think it's a giant problem? That's the question. Let's go back to the year before Patrick Waugh got here, and they signed four goalies to NHL contracts for the minor leagues. And that was Pickard, Adekalio, Kieran Millen, and Patterson. Remember Adekalio? I do. Um, you remember when they signed him randomly to a contract in the year they had the 50 contracts? Yeah, that was fun. But anyway, all right. So Patrick gets here and he's like, all right, we've got a serious, you know, we're up against the 50 contract limit. And here we are with four minor league goalies, two of which are playing in the CHL, which isn't even the ECHL. And, you know, what are we, what are we doing here? And I, I think that was sort of part of the break apart um, with Rick Pracy, because Rick Pracy was a goalie mm-hmm. and, and he was a goalie drafter. Um, and it just, it, I, I think that that sort of got the, the whole organization away from really being invested in, in drafting and developing goalies. Well, and I wrote an article about goalie pipeline and you know it is interesting because i remember when Wom that they drafted adicalio and pickard the same year and it didn't show any vision because you basically have goalies at the same point in their development which i think is a fair point but then after that they decided to just stop drafting yeah, them exactly they just stopped then the all. year that spencer martin had the acl injury they did not draft a goaltender that year so and then well, the next exactly. year they drafted Max, who had an ACL injury. Woo! That's two yeah. in a row. So it's like, <laughs> if they didn't like what they were doing before, okay, that's fair. But then what was, where were they going after that? So then you have Wah, and then you're not drafting any goalies. I think that they just, they got Var- Varlamov, they, were, they signed him long term, they were good to go. And it didn't really matter what they were developing. Because they had him, and then they could just sign whoever they needed on top of it. Uh, Patrick Wall was nothing if not the era of overcompensation, overreaction. Like, well, we've, we've had our roster burned by having too many goaltenders that aren't any good. Well, we're just going to not sign any goaltenders. Problem solved. Ever. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> uh, well, our, our team are developing, and they're young, and they're, we, they clearly still had some problems despite all the games that they won. But we're going to get older. We're going to get meaner. We're going to get tougher. We're going to get veteran like, you don't have if your team is at one, you don't have to go to twelve. You can go to yeah. eight. You yeah, to 10 the, is okay. The, and this is probably worth its own podcast, which would be a good summer podcast. But 
the further away that we get from the wall era, I think the more horrifying it looks. Yeah. <laughs> and at the time, I was not pounding the table, wanting him fired and this and that. But the further and further that we get back from his vision, his decisions, his desires, it gets scarier and scarier. I, I was on the, this is a bad train train pretty early, and I did not realize how bad the bad train was. Yeah, but all right, I'll, I'll counter that with, with Craig Billington and Brad Smith and many, many other people predate Patrick by a decade or more, and they're still there. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that. I think anyone that knows me at all knows how I feel about Craig Billington. And not good. The, yeah, we, we, we don't need to go down that. Uh, that's its own I, I think Patrick too, was but... an enabler, but I just I don't I don't think his vision was as you know is stupefying to the rest of the organization. I think he just enabled everyone's dumb visions to really come out. Maybe I he think just he sold prob- his vision really well. <laughs> he I think a lot he probably had good ideas, but I think and he has and... good ideas about what time to eat. <laughs> but I think any anything where. <laughs> where he had any kind of forward thinking, new ideas, new theories were overshadowed by his his needs and what he wanted and his friends and um, doing what he wanted and bringing in the people he wanted and winning now and things like that. Yeah. 877 wins now. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if the abs could ever find that phone number? They'd be set. It, I, I think it's two nine. <laughs> That's goals now. Not no, really now. no, no. That, goals no. That's no. goals no. Exactly. The W doesn't show up. That's true. Goal now. That, that, that graphic that's going nine. around Twitter is so good. But I hate it so much but because it has the S though. in it. That's why yeah. I'm no. so torn. I'm like, oh, it's beautiful, but the S, no. It's not like this. <laughs> now, I mean, if you're thinking about comfort for shot suppression, all right, that's great, but. <laughs> so should we do stars and scratches? Yeah. There we go. Who's our number one star of the week? Well, Gabriel Bork. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll, I was going to ask this question earlier, but I forgot. Is he someone that you would bring back next year? I I think he's definitely coming back. I don't care one way or another. Just don't don't do anything stupid. I think like they'll three sign year for- deal, <laughs> like three year deal, <laughs> three years, one point two million, like Colton Savior today. Oh. He's, he's a replaceable player. Sign him to a replaceable contract. Yeah, that's exactly right. And if you don't, you don't. I don't really care. He's going to be happy. I mean, you know, and, and we love, you know, our, our good friend, Sandy Gauthier, who does the cupcakes every day, is his cousin. So he, he is a friend of the show and of the site. So I'm, I'm glad to have him around. But, yeah, don't, don't make any mistakes just because he scored three goals this week and has a, a deep, scratchy voice. And a letter. That and leadership. Letter. <laughs> that leadership though. You got to extend them right now. Yeah, that leadership's <laughs> worth at least like a multiplier. <laughs> he's he's got to be worth at least a quarter of a David Jones money. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
All right. <clears throat> if we do that, I'm going to I'm going to have to put my good friend Colin Wilson up for last night's game at least because at least offensively he had a good game. He caught Z's amazing outlet pass, got it to Kerfoot for the first goal, and he ended up scoring later, which was his 100th career NHL goal. Nice. So, well done there. Yeah, yeah, well yeah it's to tough because nobody had really like a great week. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and even in that same game, he made that hideous turnover that made Sam look terrible on the first shorthanded goal. But... Good things, good things. Turn out good things. <laughs> yeah, and, well, you didn't see the balance and everything. Game, but, but yes, Wilson certainly deserves credit for his performance in the Buffalo game. I, You know, I think Landeskog needs a shout-out. I know that, you know, he's kind of in the mode where he's not being dynamic yeah, he's back in last year's F three mode. And yeah, not, and I you know, still everyone's think wondering he's done where he is while he's back saving the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, he can be and an I honorable think... mention. Yeah. Um. I I think an easy third star goes Tyson Jost's way personally. Yeah, that, that was going to be my recommendation. Yep. Yeah, that shot last night. My goodness, that's really fun to watch. Yeah, he has a great shot. I. I think uh, as he gets more and more into what he's going to become, that's going to be a big part of his game is, is his shot generation. And then also uh, that quick release that he has, he's gonna, he's going to score a decent amount of goals with that release. And, and yeah. the, the, the way that he talks and the, the, the ways that he reacts to things on the ice, he's not playing a rookie's game anymore. And I think that really showed this week that he's really starting to, okay, I can, I can figure out what this NHL thing is now. Yeah. yeah, I think think that's what he wants. One of the main concerns we've had all year is sort of what is he good at and what role is he going to eventually fall into? Um, I I think we're still a little up in the air about whether he's a wing or a center. I've always sort of leaned towards wing and I know a lot of people hate that, but just sort of from a skills and role standpoint. We see that he can take on tough matchups. We see that he can score and generate lots of shots. And, and just, you know, forgetting whether he's going to be a wing or center going forward, I, I think those things are what we really needed to see. Yeah, I think he can be both. I'm not ready to say what he should be. I think it's a little early for that. But I, I think he could be comfortable in either... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not ready to hand him the number two center spot or anything like that. But oh my god, I the rampage scored already. Sorry. I'll flip an additional honorable mention to Jonathan Bernier for 38 saves on 39 shots on Tuesday. Yeah, and yeah, he was I... perfect 5v5 last night. So there's yeah. That. Just perfect 5v5 in a 5-4 game. So scratches. <laughs> <laughs> scratches. Um, I'm going to throw one out to Patrick Nemeth because he's starting to annoy me, and it's not his fault. Um, Are you sure? He, yeah, he's a, he's a drag on a lot of people's stats. <clears throat> um, and right now he's a drag on, on poor Sam Gerard's stats, which we don't like to see. And it's just, it, it's put Sam in a quandary and, and, and he doesn't need that. Um, but he's just, you know, I, I think ever since Barry's been at, back in the lineup, um, it's it's just sort of highlighted Nemeth's flaws. I think he was really good with Barbario. 
and just sort of that that chemistry is gone. Maybe Barbario is the only guy that sort of can bring out the better parts of Nemeth's game. Um, but he's just he's you know he doesn't fit with Barry well. He doesn't fit with Samwell obviously. And he and Lindholm are pretty terrible as well. So it's just he's a guy in search of a role and. Um, you know, it, it's tough because we've seen when he was with Barbario that he can be, you know, a reasonably decent contributing guy. Um, but right now he's not. At least not awful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it, not, I mean, it's, you know, compared to last year, he's, he's, a, he's a prince. It, I know it's always kind of like the easy choice to pick kind of the worst defenseman. I, you know, they all kind of had their not so great moments. Um, that Carolina game, Barry and Lindholm had their moments. I mean, they have all had their moments this week, and it's just, it is kind of a bigger issue that they don't have this defense solved, and not that we expect them to have all the answers, but if your answer is playing Gerard on his offhand and then wondering why he's not as crisp with the puck, I mean, it's kind of obvious there. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's just, uh, you know, I, it's tough because I, I I don't want to blame this all on Tyson Berry, even though we could, but... Um, Berry for a scratch? Every, well, yeah, you, you know, know ever since he's been back and Barbario left, it's just the, the chaotic usage of the defenseman is a, is a greater and greater concern as time goes on. Yeah, it definitely feels unsettled. The, it, the pairings are different every game. Some games... Every game in a game, you know, it's yeah. just... Yeah, some games Gerard plays with EJ, some games he doesn't. You know, he's had like four different partners now. It's just, you know, is that helping him? And then plus everyone else. It's just like, you know, Zadorov's time is more up and down now. It's Yeah, that's a sneaky bad thing that's been happening lately. Like a couple games in a row now, like Z's been really low. Like he was fourth in, in uh, PK time last night. And I'm wondering if there's something up there. Oh, it wasn't that long ago that Gabriel Bork, as as, as well as as much as we want to talk, talk him up this week, he, he shouldn't be your number one forward in five on five ice time, but he was. That's <laughs> right, the hot hand. Um, well, I, I attributed that because Como is that sometimes, and he's sort of he's taking Como's place. So, right. right. Oh, one guy I think has been sneaky bad is Nieto, and. He, he hasn't been a like goal, huge. Though. He's got to be good. <laughs> well, sure, the shorthanded goal was great, but yeah, that was a goal scorer's goal, as Pete would say. I I think he's getting overplayed, and that that's not his fault. But I think he's not a top six player, and I, I think it shows sometimes. And I think, gosh, I can't even remember what game that was. If it was the Carolina game or one one game, I think. Bedner stop, just stop playing him. <laughs> <laughs> he gets that a lot. I've seen him a lot where he gets a lot of minutes in, in the first and second period and then just sort of it drops yeah, he, off. Yeah, he does. He stops getting played at some point, and I think maybe it was I the think, game Como got hurt, but Bedner's just like, okay, we're just not playing Nieto either. Yeah. I'm going to throw out my uh, scratch for the my favorite Yakupov. Yeah. He's done exactly I mean, zero. <laughs> yep. He's done a hard, he's right but... out there, though. 
He looked like yeah. he was really trying hard that game. Yeah. Well, the St. Louis game, I'll give him credit for he was he was maybe one of the better forwards at actually creating plays or at least trying to. I'll give him credit for that. I think I think he had the best maybe jump out of anyone, but but that's kind of the Yakupov problem is it, mm-hmm. is the jump and the effort isn't the problem, it's the what are you getting out of it? And well, yeah. that was the St. Louis game was also <laughs> the one he'd had the most ice time in a month. Uh, he yeah, had, yeah, he I got think fifteen minutes there. But, yeah, I you know, think he's... he was looking good there, but last night definitely not. Yeah, I really, uh... you know, St. Louis is that's his former team. Maybe they were giving him a little mm-hmm. extra ice time just to show him, you know, hey, I'm still good or something. But um... you know, for for a goal scorer. You know, he was supposed to be a scoring winger. He's got a goal and two assists in the last month. Yeah. That's not good. That's not good. Um, I, but, I mean, it's, it's like Vlad likes to say. It's, it's really easy to look like you're trying hard when you're being chased by bees all the time. Right. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, I still think there's a lot of people that that like y- Yakupov. And oh, he's very likable. He, he's. I love the idea of Yak. He's, he's, he seems <laughs> like an awesome dude. I see him on dude. the ice. He's, he's yeah. When no one else is... When no one else is scoring, it's kind of like, what is he doing worse than everyone else? You know, it's it's hard right. to to say. Well, he's not doing much. Well, nobody else really is. But he's just he is so unpredictable. You know, it's great when he's shooting on that second power play unit, but you're like, is is it even going to get near the net? Is he going to no. hurt somebody on our team? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he yeah. broke that dude's arm. He broke Edmondson's arm in half the other day. I mean, that's cool and everything because he's on the Blues. But I mean, you know, that can happen to any one of us. You know? Yeah. I just, yeah, I don't know what to do with Yakubov. I know it's it's. Scratch. I mean, if they if they are honestly playing him to generate interest around the league to perhaps trade him, then I'm all for it. But it's just if that's not the end game, like if they're if they have no intention of trading him which you know there might not be any interest or they they don't have any interest in trading him you know then then then, you know when we get a lot a lot of these guys back if we ever do you know let's just sit him because you know he's not going to be part of the plan next year we hope right and i I can't imagine they're showcasing him i mean you know you know what he is at this point nobody is gonna sit i mean you want him in the lineup i mean if you don't play the guy then then that's (laughs) that's definitely a negative check mark right Uh, yeah that's what st louis did to him last time i mean they just quit playing him yeah they didn't try to trade him either (laughs) exactly (laughs) you don't know that they may have tried i understand that he's gonna get played before any of the Guys and he has made progress. HL. Like I know he looks awful most of the time, but he really has made progress as far as an all-around hockey player. Um, and that's not saying a lot just because he was starting from basic ground zero, other than having a shot. But you know, there are times when he does make actual like decent pass, outlet pass out of the defensive zone, or maybe you know he might find himself in the right position outside of the offensive zone once in a while. I mean, you know, that's progress. He just finds himself there. Yeah, he does find himself there. <laughs> it's it's just yeah. What do you do with this guy? Like, who do you play him instead of? Because if they are ever completely healthy, then you are deciding: does he play or does someone like Bork play? 
who I mean, I think I I was going to ask this question before, but it's like, and I'm not saying like if if you had to make the decision, but what do you think the staff's viewpoint is? Like, do you think they would scratch Bork or Yakupov first? I think they don't want to scratch Yakupov. I think they try to work him in. So I don't think they would scratch him for weeks, but I think if everyone was ever healthy, he might have to rotate with like Bork because that's what it's going to come down to. If if you have Andrigetto, Wilson, Bork, and Yakupov, they're all kind of in the running for sort of the same spot. And you're not going to scratch Wilson and Andrigetto, so you're kind of left with few options at that point. Yeah. I mean, I think if it if it came down to like sort of Bork and Yakupov being the 12th and 13th forwards, I think it would sort of run... Bork would play three, four, maybe five games to every one for Yakupov. See, I think they'd only sit Yakupov for one. I, I think they really don't want to, to keep him out long. And I don't know, yeah. because it's like you said, it's kind of a negative if if he's just sitting around. I It's tough, because... Yeah. I think he, he's someone where he's happy. I think he helps keep everyone else happy. It's, I mean, it's tough. I like happy and winning rather than happy. And <laughs> yeah, if you're doing winning. nothing, you know? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's be winning, happy and useful. I don't happy think he's, and useful that's is so much better than happy and not useful. <laughs> right. I don't think he's detrimental. That's the thing. It's, it's more, hey, if you could dress like 15 guys and you'd have no problem running him out there and he could be yeah. power play specialist, you know, whatever. But the problem is you if, if you're playing him, you're not playing someone else. That's really the problem. I don't think they're worse with him in the lineup. It's just... I, th- I think it's actually akin to the Barry situation where he's not actually that terrible all by himself. It's just sort of his effect on others and the lineup in general that's that's sort of a, a latent negative. Yeah, definitely. So before we move on to next week, I would like to double back to uh, the, the Nieto thing. I kind of feel like no one has been hurt more by McKinnon's absence than the Soderberg line. Because yeah. when, when when teams aren't having to use every available resource to shut down Nathan McKinnon and fail at that, they can spend more energy on you know keep making sure that Carl Soderberg doesn't have anyone to pass to, on making sure that Blake Como can't quite get to the garbage goals, on on things like that. Like just they have a little bit better goal uh, defending talent. I, out there against the Soderberg line, and I think that does make a difference, and they get used differently as well. Yeah, using a role that they're not really that well suited to. They don't have, you know, the third and fourth line forwards to kind of dine out on with their, you know, with with their grindiness. I uh, think I- if the matchup thing about being on the road affects anyone, it's that line, like. I think that's the line where when you can dictate the matchup, they are much more positive than if the other team can decide. Because uh, on this, not just this week, but the whole kind of this section of the season where they've been on the road, they've seen a lot of top lines, and that was even when Kinnan was still playing. And it hasn't, it hasn't gone so well for them. 
And I think it's something I've been saying for quite a while that you really don't want to default on them as your second line. I, I understand why Bender likes them as the veteran line and, and this and that, but I think that's why it would benefit them so much to have like another option as a second line, kind of how they had the lineup last night where they're not just such easy prey for the other team, especially on the road. I think they, they do better at home as well, it's interesting as their usage their usage at home they generally line up against another team's second line sometimes a third um but on the road their usage is all over the place which says to me that a lot of times uh, in defensive draws or defensive situations that bednar puts them out <clears throat> uh regardless of who's out there well i know like the tarasenko line really took them apart in St. Louis. And, yeah, and obviously yeah. they didn't, um, you know, that wasn't a great game for everybody, but I think, um, you know, I've been looking at just seeing some of the forwards that they've played against and it's kind of the other team, you know, younger offensive line that they try yeah. to put against Soderberg line. Yeah. And that's, that's just a foot speed thing. But I, I really just wanted to kind of kind of toss that in that having yeah, a, a slightly different role and slightly different competition has really brought that line's effectiveness down pretty significantly. <laughs> yeah, it um, definitely has. So this week starts like last week with a game at home. This one's on Wednesday against the Montreal Canadiens and hopefully starring Nathan McKinnon. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Maybe. That's a 7.30 Mountain start. Then on Friday, Colorado will fly to Winnipeg for some reason for a 6 o'clock Mountain rematch with the Jets. Finally, on Sunday, it's a home matinee at 1 o'clock Mountain with the Edmonton Oilers. All games are on Altitude and the corresponding Canada channels. Wednesday is a 30 game? Wednesday is a 30 game. Uh-huh. <laughs> Montreal loves their 30 games. I don't understand why they would want to have a 30 game here. Like, come you on. Know, it's it's a fashionably late kind of town, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Do they have half a, uh, uh, you know, time? Don't they do like that on Wednesdays? Uh, Newfoundland has half a time zone. I don't think I was going to say, Newfoundland is half an hour off for some reason. And I don't know how people live like that. Does that have something but... to do with the Canadian? They try to have the double headers or whatever. Maybe. Not that. The abs are on nas national TV, at least in the U.S., but... But the abs will be up north. Because yeah. I think the the Calgary game, two weeks from now, on Wednesday, is also at 7.30. But... You are correct. It's Wednesday night. It's the night you love to hate. <laughs> it's rivalry night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Man, y'all are going to get tired of Canada. Uh, next, <laughs> yes. Our, our next, uh, no kidding. So, starting on Wednesday, the Avalanche play against Canada, 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 Canada. Let's flip to March. Uh, the, and then we're into the U.S. for the rest of the next several weeks. But that's a lot of Canada. I, I cannot believe that they're going to play Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver twice each in the next two weeks. Yeah. But, I mean, Colorado have had so many opponents that are very beatable and have had just such a depleted roster to do it with. It's just really unfair to their playoff chances. I, I think that this week the Avalanche get McKinnon back and actually win two out of three. 
I'm going to call four points and that the Winnipeg game sucks, but otherwise four points. I'll go yeah, with I'd have three. to agree with that. I'll go with yeah. three. I, who, who do you I, I think, think they if... tie? Maybe Winnipeg. I think they've Ooh. played them decent. Is, I that think a home? Could... Is, is that a Winnipeg at home? No. no on the road. No. I, and I know Winnipeg's <laughs> lost like five games. Yeah. But I think they could get that one to overtime. I just I think they're going to lose to Edmonton. And I think they'll beat Montreal. So I, I think they'll start with the win, get an overtime loss, and then lose to Edmonton. Don't listen to her, Avalanche. We need you to beat Edmonton. I can't handle the takes. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. You, they don't play well against Edmonton. They beat them last time. You, you know they're going to play Varley against Edmonton, and that's usually bad news. I can't handle the takes. <laughs> Well, they can't yeah, even beat Edmonton. Confused. How are they supposed to be a playoff team? Well, they're not a playoff team. Right. They're not. That's exactly right. Why are Pull we talking Pull your hands play- away from the keyboard. Why are we talking they're playoffs? They're a bubble team just like 10 other teams in the league are. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. Except I it. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to agree with Steph. I think McKinnon comes back for Wednesday's game. We win that. I, I we have a tragic a little... loss in Winnipeg. But but we beat Edmonton. I I can see him back this week, and I still think that's a little optimistic. But but they had the day off today, so who knows? If if McKinnon practices tomorrow, then he's good to go. But I'm gonna guess he'll be back for Winnipeg because and that's the game they're gonna need that kind of emotional boost. Is that game? I just think they're going to get him back at home. I don't think they'll want to take him on the road for his, his first game back, especially not against that team. That's a that's a team that's going to beat up that shoulder. So if he's if he's not back Wednesday, I don't think he'll be back until Sunday, but maybe. But I, I think yeah. Wednesday. And plus, you know, like, you know, with the Habs in town, like LeBron's going to be there. I mean, uh, you know, the whole French media is going to be there. It's big. It's a great game for him to come back. Yeah, it's a I mean, great game for Gerard I mean, to have a win. If LeBron's going to be in town, we got to play big boy hockey. That's right. <laughs> oh, and, and to be clear, if he's ready, he'll play. I mean, uh, I'm sure they're not going to hold him back. I just think it, it'd be a little early because then he'd have to be practicing tomorrow, and it's not quite, you know. Remember, he's weeks. been sitting at home watching all these games this week. Just. <laughs> Gotta get back. <laughs> Just throwing his hands out in front of him, going, ah! <laughs> Probably on an exercise bike during the entire length of the game, just because you can't just sit and watch it. Right. Nordic track, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> just shoot up that shoulder, get back. But anyway, he's that's got a Peloton. Spray cool. it with that magic freezy spray that that soccer teams use. Yeah. There you go. He'll be good to go. They actually use that in cycling, too. They spray it on guys from cars. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Try no, when, you, when you get spray. hurt during a race, you don't stop racing. You, you cycle up to the, the doctor's car, and they spray your leg with, with icy spray, and then you go and <laughs> do your job. It's awesome. That's No pit stops. That's amazing. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right, so I 
these are just more winnable games, and as the, the playoffs are looming and not looming in a positive way right now, so if, if the Avalanche want to make a run, the end of this month is their time to do it. Whether they make that run or not, you'll know you can find out right here. You can always keep up with the podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play Music Store Business Machine. We're on your favorite RSS pod catcher. We're on burgundyrainbow.com. And we hang out on Discord probably more than is healthy, so you can chat at us about kind of whatever you want over there. If you're having any kind of download issues, make sure to tag me. I may not always see it and may get buried as has happened occasionally but next week montreal at winnipeg and versus edmonton i'm ready to see some wins keep your head up get to the dirty areas play some metro you cowards and we will see you next week Yeah, I'm in my office, but it's a corner of the living room, so we'll hear everything anyway. <laughs> this is more of a den. Yeah, we it's have like... Cave. <clears throat> it's really cool 1950s paneling <laughs> with scenes of like birds flying and deer and, you know, it's, it's just, oh, it's so... Is it the dark paneling? No, it's, it's light with... Um, like repeating patterns on it, like woodland scenes, like a deer, like, like a deer and a, and a baby deer, and then birds on the wing, and then a, a fence on a field and stuff like that. It's it's hilarious. You have wood paneling that's a mural. No, this is the, <laughs> the nutbags have built this place. Put it in here. And it's, just, it's one of those things that like. <laughs> You'd automatically want to change, but after a while, you're like, you know, this is so hokey in mid-century. I love it. You know? <laughs> Character. It turns out I'm actually a big fan of Mr. and Mrs. Nutbag's fashion sense. <laughs> they're actually they're actually named Chambers. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, my door knock. They they had an engraved door knocker that says Chambers, <laughs> which is still on the front door. It's awesome. <laughs> Nice. You've just like handwritten Earl apostrophe S above it in Sharpie. <laughs> These are just Earl's not above it. It reminds not me of Winnie the Pooh, who claimed he lived under the name of Sanders because that's the name that was on his door. <laughs> I should change my name. <laughs>